Father, you have a desire for each one of us in this room, and amazingly, it's found in your word. Lord, help our inadequacies and our misconceptions and our false views to fall to the side as we uh, look at your word um, for something as big as meaning. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, as I was getting ready for this, I was kind of like, God, we're talking about meaning. Um, and it's not just something I'm looking for or my neighbor's looking for. It's what everyone on the planet is looking for. Um, so how do I take something that big and try to attempt to answer it in 20 minutes? That's one of those things that is the beauty of God's word because it's not my words. I just want to share with you what his word says um, this morning when it comes to chasing after meaning. Um, as, you, as you've seen, uh, Ecclesiastes is where we'll be, be kind of starting this journey um, with Solomon. And Solomon was a very wise man. He was a man who, who, when God said, what do you want? I'll give you anything. Solomon said, I want wisdom. God honored him by that. But as you continue to read about the life of Solomon, you understand he was not a man who finished strong. He was not a man who finished strong. And, and what I mean by that is, is Solomon, it, it, we... We are guessing that Solomon was the writer of Ecclesiastes because of some different descriptions that he gives of himself, but there are some people that say that the reason Solomon didn't say, I wrote Ecclesiastes, is because he was ashamed, that he had wasted his life. And, and you can see that through this book as you begin to read it, but when you open the book and you read the first verses, these are the first two verses in Ecclesiastes, and you'll see them on the screen, these are the words of the teacher, King David's son, who ruled Jerusalem. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher. Completely meaningless. I actually, when I was reading through Ecclesiastes, I've come to the decision and the conclusion that Ecclesiastes was the world's first emo song. (laughs) If you're familiar with emo music, it very simply is very depressing, and usually there's no reconciliation. It's about hopelessness and all these different things. So if you're one who struggles with depression, please stay away from emo music. But here's what I can see. And God gives me a very interesting sense of humor and view on things. But what I pictured as I continue to read the first chapter of Ecclesiastes is Solomon, actually today, black, jet hair, coming across his face like this, taking pictures of himself like this. I don't know why every every emo kid takes a picture of himself like this. But anyways... I see Solomon in the back of a Starbucks, listening to The Cure, um, opening his gold-plated laptop, because Solomon was rich, hearing these words, Dear MySpace, or Facebook, or any other online blog that people may or may not read, everything is worrisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. Who snaps to that? History merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Sometimes people say, here is something new, but actually it is old. Nothing is ever truly new. We don't remember what happened in the past, and in future generations, no one will remember what we are doing now. Submit. But I seriously can see Solomon today, because of the words that he says, it it, it really does proclaim the we are chasing after meaning. We are looking for meaning. We are pursuing it. We want it no matter how bad we say we don't, we do. And I can really see Solomon today living that out in a lot of people. And and, and let let me explain something about Solomon. Solomon was not someone who was in life like with nothing. 
Let me read to you some of the things that Solomon had, and, and it's not on here, but if you go through Ecclesiastes, which I would encourage you to do, and kind of compare your life to Solomon's, because Solomon's book of Ecclesiastes is basically a book of what not to do with your life. And I, and I said this earlier, but if I had a book written about my life that was basically the example for everyone not to follow, I'm not sure if that's a good or bad thing. It's famous, but maybe for the wrong reason. But the point is, Solomon had, went after these things. He was greater wisdom and knowledge. He said, come on, let's try pleasure. He went after everything he wanted. He actually said, after much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. He went after alcohol, building huge homes, planting beautiful vineyards. He owned large herds and flocks, more than any of the kings who had lived. He collected great sums of silver and gold. Get this, he purchased wonderful singers. Now, I want you to translate that to today. Imagine that top, that band that you're listening to in your iPod or on your CD player, or on your record player or whatever you're listening to it on. Imagine having the ability to purchase the band that you were listening to the most. Opening your window, saying, hey, you know that top 40 hit you did two years ago? Play it right now, thanks. I mean, this is the kind of insight. I'm going, man, this is amazing. He went after all of these things, and it continues. It goes on. He went after many beautiful women. Solomon, if you did not know, had over 400 wives and over 600 concubines. That's over 1,000 women. If you think women are the answer and going after them, talk to Solomon. Now, I'm, now, here's the deal. I'm not kidding, and I'm all joking aside, and all the jokes that you could come up and think with, most people truly believe that Solomon's downfall was women. Not because of nagging, not because of all the different things that maybe they might do, but because the women that he brought into his house worshipped false gods. And Solomon pursued those false gods with those women. He did not stand up and represent the Lord, but he caved and there are a lot of people who, all joking aside, say that his love for women opened a door for his downfall. It says that he went on in finding great pleasure in work. Guys, you and I can relate to this. We consume ourselves with work. We're like, that's our purpose. That's what we do. We work. And when we do work, we feel good. And when we're not working, we're antsy. And we don't know what to do with ourselves because we've wrapped ourselves in work. We love to do that. He says, anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. Solomon is writing about meaninglessness when it sounds like his life is pretty full. There's a movie called About a Boy, and it's with um, Hugh Grant. And, and I'm always fascinated by movies where kids are involved and where, where you know, the unlikely person is the one who kind of adopts a kid. And, and then that, that the story unfolds and the funniness to the humor to it. It's not really that great of a movie, but there's a point when Hugh Grant comes to this conclusion, and it's actually a voiceover of what he's doing, and he's actually walking through his day, and he says, my day consists of units of time. When I go to buy a CD, that's two units. When I go to eat lunch, that's three units. When I go home, prepare dinner, and sit on the couch, that's three units. And then he says this, he says, my life is really full, but it doesn't mean anything. And the next scene is kind of, it's one of those kind of cheesy scenes where he just kind of falls on his knees, you know, in the, in, the, in the living room. But I feel like inside some of us, that's exactly what's going on. We can hide our life like we have meaning by making it full, by doing lots of stuff. 
And it's amazing because the Lord kind of takes that in a totally different direction. And Solomon says something similar to this in verse two, uh, chapter 2, verse 11. This is what he says. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless. Like chasing the wind, there was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. I actually saw an interview with a movie star who you, know, you would look at and be like, man, they have everything. And this is what he said. He said, I wish that everyone could at one point in their lives have everything that they ever wanted. Because then everyone could see that once you have it, how unsatisfied you are. That kind of blew me away. To hear the honest heart of someone chasing after meaning. And I think that's something that every one of us in this room can relate to. But the world is showing us different things. It is saying to us, go after things. And, and this is just a commercial that kind of shows you that a little bit. You're right. We need a new TV. Chase for your credit card balance and decide what to spend in seconds. It's perfect. Real-time info matters. Chase what matters. All right, did you catch it? Did you catch it right there? I, I've circled it in bright yellow just if, in case you missed it. In case you've missed it, chase what matters means get a TV. Now here's the deal. I am not against getting a new TV. I am not against getting, getting a house and having furniture, but I am against it when it tells me that stuff is what matters. I am against it when my identity is wrapped in my 50,000 inch HD projection, MDI, uh, whatever the other measurements are for giant screen TVs. I, I am against it when it says that my life to matter has to have one of those. And I do not want my son to learn that. And that is why I'm so glad to watch Miss Sue with these children and helping them understand what meaning is from the very beginning because, man, I wish I had that. I wish I knew that life was more than stuff that I can touch, that, you know, these TVs and speakers and all this stuff. But the world is saying, chase what matters, and it involves things. It's interesting. Now, here's the deal. The reason we are chasing after meaning is because God put it there. The reason we are chasing after things that are not stuff is because the Lord put it in our hearts to know him. And, and what we've done is, is that the Bible is very clear that we have a very real enemy. And what he has done is he has blinded us to the truth. And so what we do is we get confused. We're like, oh man, awesome microphone. I'm going to find my meaning in that microphone. And when that microphone is gone, then I don't know what I'll do. And then I'm going to go find my meaning in this other microphone. That's a lot cooler than that microphone was. And now this microphone's getting a little old, so I'm going to go back here to this microphone. You see what I'm saying? We just move from thing to thing, and it never satisfies. And the meaning of life, we try and fill it with all sorts of stuff. I googled the phrase, meaning of life. 10,900,000 websites in .2 seconds it brought me. You can't tell me that the world is not aching to know meaning. And we're shouting it, and we're writing about it, and we're blogging about it, and we're putting it everywhere. And I was like, man, we really are chasing after meaning. And God's word directly deals with it. But what I thought was very interesting 
was USA Today did a, did a survey, and they asked people, they said, if God had to answer one of your questions, what question would be the top question that you asked him? The first question, the number one question in the survey was, why am I here? The number two question was, what is my purpose? And the number three question was, will I get into heaven when I die? And here's the deal. I guarantee you, if we had survey results from a thousand years ago, those questions would be the same. If we had survey results from a thousand years from now, if Jesus hadn't returned, the, the questions would be the same. Because since the beginning of time, we have been wrestling with meaning, purpose, identity, why we exist. And it is something that God placed in us. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, this is what Solomon says. What do people really get for all their hard work? I have seen the burden God has placed on us all, yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. Us not seeing the full scope is when we try and put all this stuff into our lives to create meaning. Maybe we've been void of God's word and we haven't been looking at him, we haven't been pursuing him and we've been blinded and we've been like, oh man, all this stuff, I need all this stuff. I gotta have the bigger house, the bigger car. I gotta, you know, I gotta provide for my family so that's gonna be my purpose. I'm gonna have, get, make money and I'm gonna do all of these things and that's gonna create meaning. And what's happened is we have missed God's purpose for us. And here's the deal. His invitation, Isaiah 43 says this, Bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for my glory. It was I who created them. In Jeremiah 32, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good for them. I will put a desire in their hearts to worship me, and they will never leave me. Colossians 1.16, for through him, Jesus God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and things we can't, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. There's something about that that's freeing to me. There's something, there's something freeing about knowing that I was created for him. And here's, here's the deal why. Because when I am understanding that my identity is not wrapped up in what I do, circumstances and things can change. But my purpose does not. My purpose is to know him. The reason I was created, and I'll throw this phrase out there, was to bring him glory by being completely and totally satisfied in him. And here's the deal. And you could say it this way. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's a little easier for me to grasp and begin to wrestle with. And I hope that many of you in this room will begin to wrestle with why you are here. And God's Word makes it clear. That you are here to know Him. Isaiah 29.16 kind of explains what we have done as a society, though. As a society, we have, looked at, we have looked at God and we've said these things. Isaiah is talking to Israel in, this, in the book in the Old Testament. He says, how foolish can you be? He's the potter and he is certainly greater than you, the clay. Should the created thing say of the one who made it, he didn't make me. Does a jar ever say the potter who made me is stupid? That's what we've done. 
God created each of us with the unique purpose to know Him, to find our identity in Him, to find our meaning in Him. And what we have done is we have said, God, Your Word is not good enough. You don't know where I'm at right now. I'm dealing with stuff, and right now, the thing that satisfies is going after this. And right now, the thing that goes after this is what's satisfying to me. All the while, God's invitation has been, would you just know me? Would you know me? Would you know me? We get consumed with these things and these doings and this stuff. But could it be more than, than that? Our meaning is who we're becoming. And that is when we're transformed to the image of Jesus. And that happens by sitting at his feet. By saying, Lord, you created me for your purpose and to bring you glory. And, and I don't know if this makes any sense, but it was a long weekend, a long week and a, and a busy weekend. But I was thinking about, okay, how does that work? How does it work to be completely satisfied in God? And how does he get glory from that? I began to go, well, you know, I'm okay. Jason, let's say you're passionate about scarf making. I'm not really sure why I chose scarf making. It was the first thing, I promise you, that came to my mind. I don't know why. Maybe it's, maybe it's what I'm supposed to be doing. But still, you know, I'm passionate about scarf making. And, you know, I become so passionate about it, I actually changed my vision statement to Jason's purpose in life is making scarves. And then I, I start a web business. And it's going well, and then I have a shop in Asheville that's amazing, and scarves are being sold, and people want my scarves, and, and my identity is wrapped up in scarves, and I, and I go on Saturday Night Live, and I'm the first scarf night host person, and, I, and then I go on a radio show and talk about how awesome my scarves are, and then I, you know, I keep doing this and all this stuff, and my identity is in the scarves, and things are going well, and then for some odd reason, I end up having to move to the hottest place on earth, where if you know, they have no need for scarves. But because my identity is so wrapped up in this scarf-making business, I begin to question why I exist. I begin to wrestle with, do I have any worth when I'm not making scarves? And please translate this to where you are, because I know you're not all passionate about scarves. But, but do you see what I'm saying? It's, it, when we say our purpose and our passion are the same thing, they're not. I don't believe per per passion and purpose are the same thing. I believe you can totally be passionate about so many things, but when you find your purpose in them, that's where the problems come. I can be passionate about sharing the word of God with people. I can be passionate about, about ministering to people, but when that becomes my purpose, I miss the relationship that I get to have with the Creator. You can be passionate about good things, and then when, you, when you're like, oh, I want to feed the kids in Africa, and I'm going to be passionate about that, and that's going to be my purpose. But when you're not feeding kids in Africa, who are you? What's your identity based on? You lose perspective when we say that a thing or doing something is our purpose. So, the statement that we were created for God's glory is freeing. There's a man named Paul. His name was actually Saul in the New Testament. And he could have been a man who wasted his life on all his knowledge, on who he knew, and all these different big things and grand things that he'd done on his own. But he had an encounter with Jesus. His name was changed to Paul and he began to live this life where he said, I'm not going to waste it because I have one purpose. And I want you to hear his heart in some of these verses. 1 Thessalonians 2.4, For we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our heart. Here's the deal. Circumstances, people, places, things, stuff. 
It all changes. It comes and it goes. Things are good, things are bad. But purpose, knowing Him, being completely satisfied in Him, coming around the centrality of the cross, that doesn't change. So when things are not going your way as far as outward stuff, the inside has joy. We sang about, you are my joy, you are my joy, you are my joy. And it's one of those where you just sing it really loud and it's awkward. But when it comes from inside, you can't replace that. Because you are so committed to saying, you know what, I'm just going to sit at your feet, God. You know, the scarf business isn't going too well, but I don't want that to be my identity. You know, my job, I hate my job. But I'm not going to let it define who I am. Paul continues, Colossians 3.17, Whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. In the movie Chariots of Fire, the, the, one of the characters is a Scottish runner, <clears throat> and he comes from a missionary family that's been in China. His name's Eric Little. And he's sharing his testimony at one of these little race gatherings, and he's sharing and, and something that he says. He stands out, he says, When you commit your life to the love of Christ... That is how you run the race. And I thought that was very interesting because he's battling, well, do I go be a missionary? Do I run? Do I do all these different things? But he says, within all of that, I've committed my life to the love of Christ. So whether he's in China being a missionary or he's running, he's doing all as a representative of Christ. Paul continues in 1 Corinthians. He says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Paul in Philippians 3 7 says this, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus. My Lord, for His sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with Him. Acts 20, he says this, But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. 1 Corinthians 2 says, For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I want to read you one more from Paul. And this is a very interesting set of verses because I, think, I, I see him taken out of context a lot of times, but, but here's the deal. Paul's writing, and he opens with this in Philippians. He says, Not that I was ever in need. Now, you've got to know Paul's circumstances for that. He's in prison. He's in chains. And his opening line here is, not that I was ever in need. Are you kidding me? The one guy that could write about being in need, it was Paul. Paul could be the one that said, you know what, please help me. Somebody come and get me. I'm scared. He could have done that. But he didn't. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secrets of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Now, we're used to seeing that verse put on the back of some boxer's, you know, outfit. Let me 4.13. I can pound you <laughs> through Christ who gives me strength. We tattoo, I mean, we, we get tattoos that say I can do all things with Christ who gives me strength. We, we see sports teams put it in their locker room. 
But do you know you can do all things through Christ to give you strength when you lose? I haven't heard a boxer use that verse when they get beat in the first round in 30 seconds. <laughs> I really don't hear, I don't hear teams quoting that verse when they lose. That verse is true whether you win or you lose. Rich or you're poor, hungry or full. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That is the secret to living a life of meaning, satisfaction, contentment. But I'll say it again. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. When our satisfaction does not come from stuff, but it comes from that place that he designed us to be in, in fellowship with him that is only possible through Christ Jesus. Psalm 1611 says this. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. And forever doesn't start when we die. It starts right now. Fixing our goal and our, our aim and our eyes on Christ alone and understanding that chasing what matters is not stuff. Knowing my meaning and know why, why I exist, I was created to know Him. And then everything else is an outflow of that. I can be passionate about sharing Christ with people. I can be passionate about working. I can be passionate about going to a school that I can't stand. I can be passionate about being at a middle school or a high school where I get made fun of and go, you know what? You're not my purpose. My purpose is found in Christ alone. So you know what? I'm going to love you regardless. That's what a life that is satisfied in God looks like. You may not be called to go to China. You may not be called to go to Africa, but you are called to know him. Our purpose is to know him and to sit in that and to rest in that because I believe that is where freedom comes. To sit at the feet of the one who paid the price for us. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So honor God in your body. That means every day. You know, when I go to school or if I'm a CEO or I clean toilets, do it all for the representative, as a representative of Christ. I am so glad that God has given me a long list of jobs that I've done. Because some have been awful and some have been great. Some have been the worst jobs I've ever experienced. But I, you know what I had a chance to learn to do? I'm doing it as a representative of Christ. Now, was I a shiny, happy Christian all the time? No, I got attitude. But I understood that my identity was not in spraying down a women's restroom at Whitewater. <laughs> I understood that my identity, my meaning, my purpose, my existence, so that I might sit at the feet of the Savior and become more like Him. Eric Little, in the, kind of in closing, um, in the chariots of fire, he actually says, you know what? God created me for a purpose. But he also made me fast. When I run, I feel his pleasure. Do all as a representative of Christ. Nate and the guys are going to come in just a minute. And we're going to close with a song. And I, and I hope that you'll pay attention to the words because it's a song that I'm beginning to grasp and wrestle with a little more. 
You know, I'm not saying here that I have the answers and I'm going to solve all of humanity's problems when it comes to meaning and knowing it in, in, in 20 minutes. But my heart is that you will begin to wrestle with what you are chasing after. And will it last? Where are you finding your identity and your meaning? And if whatever you're finding your identity and meaning in is stripped away, what do you have left? When you're suffering and in pain and trials and it's tough and it's hard, you still have purpose. It's to know him, to be satisfied in him, and through that he receives glory. It's an amazing equation. I don't understand it. I don't completely get it. I'm trying to learn and grow into it. But my heart this morning is that maybe if you are pursuing things that aren't going to last and that desire in you is getting antsy and you're getting restless and you're like, there's more to life, there's more to life, there's more to life, there's more to life, well, there is. And it starts at the cross. And it stays there. Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the people that you have walked into this room for a reason. I thank you that they're standing, they're sitting, they're, they're contemplating, they're wrestling, they're, they're thinking thoughts maybe that they've never thought before. And Lord, I pray that you begin to open their eyes and our eyes to the purpose you have for us, and that is to know you and to bring you glory. And that can happen in school, it can happen in work, it can happen in our homes. Jesus, we want to be people that bring you glory. Father, and that starts with us being satisfied with you. In Jesus' name.